My name is Dawn Lippert. I run a climate change and equity innovation accelerator born out of Hawaii and now operating globally. It's called Elemental Accelerator. Welcome to Scaling to Zero. We're living in a unique time in history, both in terms of the danger and in terms of the opportunity, what's possible today to turn this around. It's both a very urgent and very hopeful time, which is good because I consider myself an optimist. I'll share a little context to set the stage. I'm gonna start really big. I studied environmental science in school and we started with the agricultural revolution and then the industrial revolution. And both of these changed almost everything about our lives and how society runs. The agricultural revolution set us up for massive land use change by turning us from a hunter-gatherer people to a society of cultivation. And the Industrial Revolution brought us from an agrarian and handicraft economy to one dominated by industry and machine manufacturing in the 18th and 19th centuries. Think lots of machines and spewing smoke. And now we've been in the midst of a technological revolution over the last 50 to 100 years, driven by computers and phones and all the things that come along with that. And each of these has ushered in enormous changes to our production patterns, societal structures, and lifestyles, the things we do at home every day. Science tells us that we have to have our emissions by 2030 to stave off the worst impacts of climate change. This will require another revolution just as profound as the three I just mentioned. This revolution will be toward a regenerative, life-sustaining economy. And it's pretty exciting. The imperative to drive fossil fuels and emissions out of our economies will drive dramatic changes to every single system we know and require the redesigning of these systems, particularly the interconnected systems at the root of both climate change and social inequity. And these are the two problems that we at Elemental are created to address and address them together. Collectively, we now have the extraordinary opportunity to design climate solutions that center social equity and uplift people. But we need an inflection point in the speed and scale of climate action. It's just not happening fast enough. So at EEX, we ask ourselves, how can we accelerate this? Over the last six months, or really even eight months, we've been undergoing a deep retrospective to understand what we've learned over the last dozen years of funding climate entrepreneurs and communities, and to determine how we as an organization need to change to be most effective in this moment and over the next five years. There's so much change happening around the world, and in us as people. And that change has to be reflected in our organization. There are three trends that are creating a unique window of opportunity, and that window is right now. The first trend is technology. Renewable energy is now less expensive than fossil fuels and scaling quickly. Solar costs have dropped by 90% in the last decade. Can you think of anything else whose cost has dropped by 90%? I can't. Clean energy companies such as Tesla and Nextera are now more valuable than GM and Exxon that really rely on fossil fuels or have to date. The second trend is markets. Hundreds of corporates have now pledged to go net zero or even net negative to one up the net zero folks. And that includes Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, many of the world's largest companies and people who I imagine are probably on your credit card statement sometime in the last month or two. These are not free of charge goals that they've set. Their ambitions cost money and take time and focus. And this is a one-way street to climate goals and it's creating a huge amount of momentum and investment activity in the innovation space where we play. And the third trend is policy. 
For the first time in four years, we have alignment at the federal, state, and local levels for climate action. Sometimes I think I could fill my whole day just by reading about all the announcements happening across technology, markets, and policy across climate. It's more than any one human can digest any given time, and that's pretty exciting for our space. Since last fall, we've been developing a five-year strategy to scale climate and social equity solutions. The strategy has three pillars. The first is invest in startup success. Second is partner deeply. And third is inspire action. You can think of them kind of like concentric circles, starting with invest in startup success, one click farther out is partnering deeply, and the third click farther out to incorporate everyone who wants to be involved is inspire action. And you know, this is actually the first time we put together a comprehensive strategy like this for an external audience. It's a little scary putting out something like this and knowing you'll be held accountable, but we think there couldn't be a better time to explain what it is we're trying to do and why and invite people to come along with us. One of the best examples of this strategy in action and solutions at the nexus of climate change and social equity is a project we did with Remix. These kinds of projects take the theory of what I've been talking about and bring it right down to ground level so we can all understand what it means and why this work's important and what it looks like in the real world. Remix is one of our portfolio companies that was recently acquired by VIA. And we executed a project in combination with them and Transform which is a community-based mobility justice organization and transportation change agent. As investors, we're always looking for companies that are solving problems. And climate and social equity are two of the biggest problems we face today. So that's why we love working with Remix and Transform to really work on both. Earlier this year, we hosted an online gathering with Remix, Transform, community partners that we worked with, and many others who are trying to learn from the work that we did. And that gathering was led by my extraordinary colleague, Danielle, and I'm so thrilled today to have her here with us. So Danielle, over to you. My name is Danielle J. Paris. I am the Director of Mobility Innovation at Elemental Accelerator, and I am beyond thrilled to share our most recent mobility and social equity project, which is actually the true reason that I decided to come to Elemental is to do this type of work. So as your host, I'm going to kind of set the table here for us. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of context about uh, to set the table in terms of this conversation and then really just, you know, introduce line of this. So they're going to tell us about the Remix Transform project the current state of equity work and where it's evolving to. Um, we're going to spotlight the amazing work that our equity advisors have done in collaboration of this project. And then we're going to close with a pretty exciting announcement from Elemental about how we're deepening our equity work. So let me set the table. So for all of you that are not too familiar with Elemental Accelerator, we are focused on supporting entrepreneurs that will help us combat climate change. We do this as a nonprofit organization in a variety of ways, such as funding project deployments and facilitating relationships. Also, because technology and innovation don't exist in a vacuum, we're also focused on ensuring that startups and projects incorporate equity. That means creating green jobs, inclusive hiring, diversifying our supply chain, as well as board makeup, and mitigating negative impacts to frontline communities. Who are frontline communities exactly? These are the folks that are first in feeling the compounding effects of climate change and continued injustice that shows up 
as poor air quality and asthma, drought and food access, flooding and housing displacement, and extreme heat that leads to heat strokes. With that understanding, it is critical for frontline communities to have a seat at the table. Those closest to the problem are closest to the solution, criminal justice reform advocate Glenn E. Martin reminds us, which is why we've developed what we call a square partnership model to address the problem that too often the process omits, sidelines and delays the voices of people that will be impacted most by a project. So what does the square partnership look like in action? In this case, it brings together, one, the tech company, that's Remix, collaborating with the community organization Transform to co-create a solution for the customer. In this case, it's departments of transportations in San Francisco, Oakland, and LA and San Jose, and Elemental, who's here to facilitate the collaboration. The Square Partnership model is built upon our belief that innovation succeeds when it engages community early and often, instead of just customers and funders. The model is a flexible framework for incorporating equity into tech tools and processes so that we can advance justice-focused innovation. Well, next we have a coffee chat. Um, it's basically a conversation, a much needed conversation, uh, reflecting on how equity has been evolving and what potentially could be com coming next. So um, I'd like to introduce you to Tiffany Chu, CEO and co-founder of Remix and Rixby, Executive Director of Transform. Hey, folks. Morning. Hi. All right. Great to be here. So happy you're here with us. Well, let's just jump in. So you both come from pretty different backgrounds. Tiffany, you started as a designer and Darnell, you've been doing policy work for over 15 years now. So the question for you guys is, what first brought you to equity work and how have you seen it change since? For me, it really was part of a lived experience. I grew up in Southern California and I grew up in a low-income community, low community, and I started to really started to ask questions about why my neighborhood was different than other neighborhoods. Why are my streets wider than others? Why do they drive faster in our community? Why do we have fewer parks and fewer trees? Why is the transit the way that it is? So I began to really ask questions about the built environment. And then I got to college and graduate school and I started to get data to back up things. Uh, and it really drove me forward uh, to where I am today to really want to fight for change. So that's how I got involved. Darnell, can I ask where you grew up? Riverside, California. So I'll share some context about me. I grew up on the other side of the country. My parents are immigrants from Taiwan. They moved to Flushing in the 80s. And I grew up in uh, both Flushing in Queens and also in suburban New Jersey. And I think the contrast between those two environments actually was what really drew me to urban planning as a field of study. So I studied architecture and urban planning in school. And that just completely opened up my eyes to what a career um, in community work could look like. So I ended up moving into design and design is also a big passion of mine. As you can see through the product and platform, I think user experience is uh, yet another way of improving people's lives. I think what's interesting about where I sit in my vantage point and that with one foot very, very squarely in the tech industry and one foot very, very squarely in the transportation community, I think similar to Danielle and Elemental, you have two very different masters that you're trying to serve. 
on one hand, our investors who may or may not totally understand the entire scope of the holistic problem you're trying to solve, but you know want to potentially support you. And then on the other hand, you have cities and agencies and their communities, and there is no shortage of need um, in those areas. So I think for me, equity as a concept in the tech community is very much I think too much focused on just DEI and hiring and inclusion and diversity and making sure you have a VP of DEI sitting at some level in your executive circle. Whereas I think the unique opportunity with this project with Elemental was to actually make sure equity was built into our product in a way that ultimately benefited the end user, which are our city planners and our communities. All right. And yes, shout out to all the DEI folks that are doing that hard work. So let's just talk about this project, honestly, like it's pretty out the box, like having a software company build equity into a product is not exactly what most people are thinking about in either tech world or equity work, right? So what made you want to take on this innovative endeavor? And what specific challenge did you experience in starting this project? I think for us, so I stepped into the CEO role at Remix a little over a year ago. And one of the things I realized as CEO is I can make this call, you know, if if our customers are asking us to help them figure out what equity means and build it into their processes as a standardized way of doing things, who's to say that a product that we build from a technology perspective couldn't also help enhance that and actually start to create a conversation where if you're in a city or agency meeting and there's a bunch of people around the table, equity is not like an afterthought that happens because one person title has the word equity in it, but actually the first item on the agenda. And how often does that happen today? Pretty, pretty rare. So one thing um, that I really was excited about our partnership with Elemental is basically they gave funding to make sure that we prioritize equity as a product development feature on our roadmap. And I think if we were to have just, you know, gone on with any typical product management process at a tech company, you typically do a prioritization process based on, you know, whichever customer pays you the most or whichever customer speaks the loudest and is the most persevering in their request for that feature. And while equity came up, it was not the top ask. It was like kind of bubbled up in in different conversations every, every, every now and then, but it wasn't like remix build equity tools. And so... You know, sometimes when you're building product, you have to be a little bit opinionated in the way that you choose to prioritize because you have so limited resources. So Elemental really gave us that opportunity to take that funding and say, hey, we're going to prioritize this and build actually a staff team with a data viz person, with a software engineer, with a product manager, with Rachel, so that we could actually attack it as a prioritized project without necessarily the the constraints of a, a typical product roadmap development process. Yeah, I would say for us, it was a a natural fit because we really believe that to address equity issues, it's a combination of nonprofit government and the private sector working together. Uh, And in fact, the way America has evolved, we really see that the emerging markets are the equity markets, the the ways to address equity. Um, So it makes a lot of sense to us. We like working with companies like this because it really does change the balance of power in America to allow private companies to start to think about how do we serve the larger purpose of equity. We know it's particularly important for our democracy right now, too, to make sure that everyone has access. So uh, for this to really come into alignment at this time, 
is such a fortuitous thing for us and for the whole country. So really a pleasure to be involved. And I'm just going to double down on that last question is like, did you guys face any opposition when you guys were starting this? Opposition? Um, no, I, I would say that sometimes uh, organizations have to understand the importance of the private sector. But like I said, that's not been something for us that we have a concern with. We've worked with the private sector in other arenas to advance new products and new access to communities that made a lot of sense for us. I would say the opposition that I ran into was just people not well, first of all, I think when we introduced Elemental to our investors as joining Remix's cap table, I think there was kind of a question like, who is Elemental? Like, what are the, are they going to add value? Like, we haven't really heard of them as an investor before, and they're focused on climate tech, like, it's really specific. You know, investors like to judge other investors. So, you know, that whole thing happens. I think from a just internal perspective, I mean, the list of things that we at Remix could be building is like a hundred things long and we have a whole clubhouse, not not clubhouse, the audio app, but clubhouse, like the product management ticketing system, a list of features that we have gotten from customers and to be able to figure out what to build first with, you know, our small team is always a challenge and a source of opposition. Like why would we be building this kind of amorphous equity thing when we could very be clearly building something um, very specific for London or Sydney or New York or like our very, very big customers who are really important and have a lot of users and how do we balance the needs of maybe the smaller um, cities and agencies that we work with that might benefit from kind of an out-of-the-box equity tool like this compared to all the other customers we work with. That's always a source of source of tension as well. Got it. Got it. And I got to say, I think I was like just so over the moon when Rachel shared this project as a proposal. And I was like, yes, this is like, I, I remember working on doing ex- like the longest existing conditions ever for the Fillmore District because I really wanted to tell the story and make it clear. And so when you guys said that you guys wanted to do this, I was totally on board. And when Rachel said, it's like, it's gonna be like an all hands and you have that cross collaboration within Remix. I was like, this is gonna be really special. So thank you for pushing this through. Well, I think going back to talking about, you know, building stuff specifically for different cities, Tiffany, um, something that I think is really unique about equity and also really unique about what makes our cities truly beautiful is the fact that they're all different. Like you can't copy and paste anything within a city. Um, And that's what makes planners more artists in my eyes than anything else. So how do you feel planners should address the nuance of their city when using the Remix Explore tool? Great question. Every city is honestly a special snowflake. And I think it would be a disservice to say that, you know, there's any magical technology tool that addresses every bit of that snowflakeness in the perfect way. So for us, what we have realized is probably the most important thing is reducing the barrier to entry for technology. In some of the really, really big cities, they might have whole teams of GIS and geospatial analysis folks, many of whom have master's or PhD degrees in GIS, and they're the ones who do all the analysis. And then you go to other cities, you know, smaller, medium-sized cities, they do not have that as a resource. One really interesting finding for us is when COVID hit last year, this time last year, we had hundreds of customers who just didn't have laptops. And when they were starting to work from home, they're like, we you know, our phones are in our offices, our computers are in our offices, like we're not able to 
to even like log on and have a meeting with you yet. And that lasted for a couple of weeks once their IT department started distributing laptops. And, you know, that was kind of the, the start of a new world and new way of working. Um, we heard that a lot of people couldn't access the data, the geospatial data around either population or census or housing or, you know, social climate or what have you that they had on their GIS servers because that was like on a server at their office and they were working remotely and they needed to share it with their neighboring agency or um, their partner um, jurisdiction over here. And what we realized was just even just cloud-based stuff was for many of our customers like a big change and to help them accelerate kind of their digital roadmap and their ability to work in a more seamless way with all the data at their fingertips. That was what really helped us be motivated to launch Explore as quickly as we could and lower that barrier to entry for as many planners as possible. And addressing barriers to entry, that goes back to another issue around equity, right? So we know that the way that power works in America, it oftentimes will work the way Tiffany just described. You know, there'll be communities that will have resource issues that might be different than another community. Uh, and that's part of the whole notion of equity is actually deal with what's on the ground and to address those stakeholders directly to address their concerns. And these new technologies can be very helpful for that. Well, the last question I have is really like, just our opportunity to imagine, guys. So the Remix Explore tool is extremely revolutionary in its ability to scale equity efforts um, within transportation infrastructure across the nation with Remix's 350 plus city customers. And so it really was like, I've kind of just been noodling as we're preparing to take in new companies. It's like, how and where else do we see opportunities for innovation and technology dismantling systems of oppression? Multiple areas. <laughs> how many How many areas are there? Um, I, I, this goes back again to this notion of kind of a tri-sector alliance, uh, government, nonprofit, and the private sector. Uh, and the, the marriage of innovation that a lot of the, these tech companies can bring to solve any of these unique challenges. Uh, that's really what we're talking about. I would say I always get like a little bit cringy when technology companies just kind of swoop in and start with their solution. And I'm sure a lot of city and agencies feel so as well when it's just like, yo, you haven't even listened to what our problems are, or understood our problems. How do you already know what the solution is and be overly prescriptive? And I think that's something that we have noticed in the technology industry. And I frankly have a big, you know, personal love-hate relationship with tech because of that. And I think it gives us a bad name, <laughs> honestly, when uh, technologists kind of like shove their technology in as like, well, obviously this is like the solution when the actual nature of the needs and the problems haven't been addressed or understood. So that was one big um, approach that we wanted to change with this project, which is, you know, we started with community needs, started with these very specific case studies, you know, not trying to design technology in a vacuum theoretically, but how do we make sure a new parks, you know, serves low-income owners? How do we make sure there's some oral history in the way that you visualize data? Um, how do you make sure transit service is allocated equitably? And all these like very, very specific questions that get to the larger equity issue, but you have to start with the question and the problem before you start with the answer and the technology. So that would be my ask for every every new startup founder who's starting a company. Definitely. Darnell, anything to add there? Yeah, I would just say that um, I think this partnership is an example of what others could do 
to address some of the issues that Tiffany just talked about, going back to the community, working with community organizations, trying to find out what some of the issues are. And you might find that some of the solutions that you've been developing would be the great solutions for those communities in an untapped market that has not been addressed yet. Are any of Remix clients planning to make the Explore tool available for free public use in their community? Getting this tool directly into the hands of the people in the communities of disinvestment would be an incredible way to rebalance power. So two things. One is that came up often with our co-creators. And what, um, first of all, a lot of Remix customers do share and use Remix Live with their CBOs. Um, So that already happens. And we also pursued the idea of what would it be like to have a nonprofit-based license structure for Explore? But the fact is that Explore isn't built as a project platform, so it's like a window. And so there was no way on the product side to sort of figure that out as well as what we learned from the user tests were that a lot of our advocate users were glad to know that it existed, but didn't have the capacity to want to use it. And so, uh, and we heard this from many different, many different folks, not even those who just worked with us on the project, but for instance, we've partnered with other national centers to do the work on their behalf. And so that's how it's just worked out in terms of an actual need. So I think it gets to the same result, but what we learned was that there was actually a different route to get there. And I think we have time for one more question. How did you ensure participation and feedback from communities who may not have access to computers or internet? Oh, great question. So in the before times, when we kicked off this project, we actually did quite a bit of kind of hands-on community meetings through the way that we gather feedback for, for Remix. So a lot of our city customers will actually take Remix out to a meeting where people gather physically around tables and look at a screen and say, hey, let's look at that transit route or let's look at where that bike lane is going to go and actually, you know, verbally give, um, I believe, which Jamari will get more into um, in the next section around the process of how we took the feedback from the surveys from the nonprofit advocates. Um, That's going to be, I think, explained in the next section. And Darnell, I just want to give you some space if you have ways that Transform reaches out to community um, when they don't have internet access. Oh, well, the, the before times, we would actually go and talk to people. Um, and I think it makes it more challenging under the COVID conditions. So similar answer. Yeah, definitely. All right, folks. Well, that's the end of our coffee chat. Um, And so thank you so much to Tiffany and Darnell for your leadership and really pushing this forward. You know, it's so hard to make change and especially to do the thing that's not traditional. And so I really appreciate you guys. And I really appreciate you guys working with Elemental on this. And with that, now I am so happy to introduce someone I like to call a rising star in mobility justice. That would be Jamario Jackson. Jamario is the senior community planner at Transform. And I got to say, when I first met Jamario, I was just like so blown away by his just like passion for justice. Like he was just like instant fire in the belly. And I was like, man, I got to get that back. So um, next up, Jamario, what's up? Thank you, Danielle. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. So happy to be here. And thank you for being here and listening to us talk to you about our project in collaboration. As Danielle said, my name is Jamario Jackson. I'm a senior community planner at Transform, um, and I work on mobility justice projects and partnerships within East Oakland. As a member of the Square Partnership between Elemental Accelerator and Remix, 
transform infused equity considerations into a software product development process aimed for use by departments of transportation. We informed our recommendations and guidance to Remix using a survey sent to policy advocates and by collaborating with our project advisors to structure and write the project brief. A key result of this partnership and this work is that Remix Explore now includes data sets, as Rachel mentioned, um, to analyze food access, renter status, as well as political boundaries that were specifically added because of our project advisors' analysis through case studies. And so that's a, a real-life um, project that they use, three different projects um, that were related to their existing work. The advisors as a whole provided to the partnership a national expertise that intersects with transportation, housing, the environment, politics, and even social services. In a second, you'll hear from some of our advisors as they tell you about who they are, where they work, and their role in the partnership. I'm honored to have worked with each of them because of their commitment and dedication to serving others. And so the first person you'll hear from is Tamika Butler, principal and founder of Tamika L. Butler Consulting. Thank you so much for that introduction, Jamario. I'm so happy to be here. I wanna tell you a little bit about who I am. I have a lot of identity as, as a queer, um, you know, Black woman. I, I'm gender nonconforming, but the thing that's probably most important to me is that I'm from Nebraska, I'm Midwestern. For folks who haven't been to Nebraska, Google it. There's corn. That's all people used to know us for. But now people know us as a place where people will stand out on the runway and freeze. And also as a place with a very important district because we split our electoral votes. And that second district is actually where I'm from. My family is somewhere in those demographics. But I'm here, you know, doing this work because I decided I was too gay and too black to be in the Midwest. But I learned quickly that wasn't the truth when I went to Stanford for law school. I enjoyed that experience. And after law school, I got a job in San Francisco where I was a legal aid attorney and I was trying to help people with their legal aid issues, but people only wanted to talk to me about transportation because Muni had just started a new line to Bayview Hunters Point where my clinic was based. And people wanted to know why no one talked to them, why no one planned for them, why no one planned with them, but instead it seemed to be for tourists. And that's really when I realized that transportation is the through line through which we should be seeing all our other social justice issues. I was able to run a bicycle coalition. I'm on the board of, of Transit Center. I'm an advisory board member for Remix. And I really just love transportation and built environment generally. I've been an executive director of a park developer. And most recently, what do I do? I started my own firm, Tamika L. Butler Consulting. And I started my own firm because what? I wanted to pick the clients of the people I wanted to work with, but also because I wanted to make an impact based on my vision and my dreams. And so my work is great. I have about 50% of my clients are transportation-based. About 40% are just a wide array of companies, nonprofits, museums who want to do transformational organizational change work on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And then about 10% of my clients are sustainability and client-based. And so what do, what do I do? What's my work? You know, I do anything from helping the LA County Sustainability Office on a sustainability plan here at the local level to working with the NACDO, a national organization on how folks were going to respond to the pandemic. Uh, I write a lot. I've been on the cover of Bicycling Magazine like other celebrities. No one knows, not even my mom, but the mailman did recognize me when he delivered it. 
And I really, really try to uplift the voices of, of other writers of color. I've worked with tech companies like Spin on their diversity efforts. I do a lot of public speaking. Um, and one of my favorite projects, of course, was this remixing innovation um, project. And I've been really lucky to have a wide array of experiences. So we were asked to talk a little bit about kind of our North Star. Why does any of this matter? Why do I do this work? And when I talk about race and transportation on race and built environment, I often get this look, you know, kind of like Kanye wondering what happened with his relationship. But the reality is, as a Black person, I know that my space has always been monitored. I know that public space has always been used to tell me where I can and can't go, that I've been in communities where we're on the outside looking in, that I live in a country that was founded on stealing land from indigenous people. As I sit on Tonga land, I know that there is a man who wrote a book that Hitler called his Bible because it talked about the way people of color dilute the human race. But he's also referred to as one of the four founders of our park system. And so public space has always been about where you can go and what are the good neighborhoods and the bad neighborhoods? Where is it okay to have toxic sites? What neighborhoods can we drive right past, divide, raise? And how come in some communities like South LA, where I live, black and brown communities, we have more access to fast food than fresh food, or more access to liquor stores than grocery stores? See, for me, all of these issues overlap. There's no such thing as a single issue struggle because we don't lead single issue lives. So my guiding principle is intersectionality. It's the way that these issues collide and come together and that my multiple identities and the multiple things I care about all have to intersect. I wanna do my work and think about the fact that many of the people I serve think that their neighborhoods are killing them because they are. And so when people think, whoa, wait, what? I thought you were just talking for a few minutes about what you do. I am, right? But I also acknowledge that I'm often in white spaces. I know that we have to talk about race, that it's not easy being young, gifted, and Black, that it's really hard for Black leaders and other members of oppressed groups, whether you're queer, have a disability, don't speak English as your first language. We have to learn the ways of white folks. We have to code switch. We have to figure out why our organizations stay white no matter what we do. And we have to face the reality that sometimes it feels like we'll only be successful if we make ourselves invisible. And so everything I do in transportation or otherwise is built on the idea that we can't just create solutions that seem like they're based on processes and practices that include the basic rights and values and beliefs and perspectives and experiences of the everyman. Instead, we're often making decisions based on experiences of things that are only true for people who get to experience those things in white bodies. And so everything I do is about stopping the killing of Black people uplifting the voices of those of us who have been excluded and ignored and doing everything I possibly can to make equity actionable. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Scaling to Zero. Keep an eye out for episode five dropping soon.